Welcome back to the Application Security Podcast. We're up to Season 4, Episode 12, which takes us to an interview with Tony UV. This is Tony's second time on the podcast, so he dives right in talking about threat libraries in the cloud. Enjoy! The Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Welcome, friends. We're here for another episode of the AppSec podcast, Application Security Podcast. It's season four. And today I am joined by Tony Yusita Velez. And we've had uh, Tony UV, as he's uh, probably better known, on before in uh, season one, episode 10. And uh, we want to welcome again. Uh, welcome, Tony. Thanks, Robert. Great to be back and uh, looking forward to talking on uh, what's on your mind today. Fantastic. Uh, last time you were here, we talked about uh, threat modeling. Again, uh, one of our uh, uh, one of our topics that we enjoy uh, quite a bit, and um, you and I have talked about it uh, offline as well. And um, so that was a that was a great episode. And you're continuing to uh, looks like speaking on threat modeling as well. Correct. Yeah, I was recently in London for AppSec U uh, just past uh, month, and uh, had. Uh, a good crowd in London to basically address them on an interesting topic on how to build your own threat library and how to apply that threat library for some DevSecOps operations in the cloud. So it was trying to fuse some DevSecOps themes in there, trying to tie it to cloud security, and uh, and then you know take one facet of threat modeling, which is the uh, building your threat library piece. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. So. Um, in terms of a threat library, um, you know, where where do you build that? How do you build that in, in terms of the kinds of threats? I'm assuming uh, for cloud-based applications, uh, you know, what is your source for those kinds of threats in particular? Sure. Yeah. So the um, the two sources really for building a threat library in general, and then I'll kind of dovetail into clouds more specifically, is going to be really based upon two key sources. Number one is threat intelligence that you can get from the outside perspective. You know, those might be industry players from the outside that you might be operating in um, that have uh, that want to share information on cyber threats, cyber criminal activities that are within your industry. So those are important to know because they speak to things like threat motives. They also speak about new techniques and attack patterns that are supporting threats uh, in that space. So basically, in simple terms, outside perspective. The second one is the insider perspective. So every day, networks, applications, cloud infrastructures are being attacked. And your systems are logging a lot of this type of nefarious traffic, both from the inside of the organization and outside. And so a lot of times, organizations don't look at what their systems, applications, and serverless technologies are actually saying to them. So if they can har uh, harvest the power of threat data, which is the other uh, place to get uh, a good source to build your threat library, you can actually qualify a good threat library and say, I'm concerned about the following threats because of 
data that I'm actually seeing on my infrastructure and data that I know is affecting me and my industry. And then lastly, you know, specific on cloud, cloud is that generic term that we all love to hate, um, really kind of narrowing it down into platform as a service or software as a service or infrastructure as a service and now even containers as a service. Um, cloud means different things to different people, whether you're a hosting provider or you're the software um, provider in, in, in a shared infrastructure. So uh, in essence, the talk in London was really meant to, how do you create a threat library that means something to you as a cloud provider, if that's you know uh, your space, and uh, tying in elements of what you as a cloud provider might serve. For example, um, there might be a healthcare SaaS provider that is serving the healthcare market. So you're concerned about trends in cloud security. Um, you're concerned about, for example, at threats to multi-tenant hopping, as an example. Um, but you also might be concerned about threats to the healthcare industry, especially the healthcare technology industry, where there might be some threat motives that might be evolving. So that, in essence, is basically the key ingredients to a great threat library. Okay. So it sounds like, like you said, from external sources as well as internal sources and collecting those, uh, how, do you, how do you validate what is a threat? Uh, is it just based on industry? You know, if you see these kinds of things, that that's how you know there's a th you're being threatened, or there's a threat here. Uh, is is that a, essentially the way you can identify that these are the threats that we have collected from all those data points? So that's a great question. Um, now, on the threat data, the internal uh, logs and alerts and incidents that you're going to be seeing, you know something's a threat when you have something amiss on your network. You know something's a threat when you have, you know, brute force attacks against an authenticated web API that's tied to, you know, a cloud component, for example. Um, you don't really kind of have to say, hey, is this a threat, you know, because you're saying that the nefarious actions, you're able to look at the alerts that you might have in the cloud, maybe with an in-the-cloud web application firewall or some level of layer 7 um, inspection that is looking and saying, hey, this is bad, this is not good. But to your um, on the industry threat um, intel, yeah, there is some level of, uh, of, of, of review that has to be done. Um, but the, the idea is this, that if you're in financial systems or you're a financial technology company and you happen to operate in the cloud and you happen to be moving money, there's some inherency to financial crimes. And, you know, a lot of the industry threats of I want to get into accounts, I want to move monies illicitly, I want to do money laundering, um, stuff like that, are, are things that we we still have to be cognizant about, even in today's um, digital age. Uh, so we take some of the more traditional financial fraud and financial cyber criminal, you know, uh, criminal measures, and then we basically say, how does this happen um, from an industry perspective against the infrastructure that I have? Now, there's a lot of great resources. I'll stick with financial since I'm on it. Uh, FinCEN is one. FSISAC is another. Each country has an ISAC, uh, or I'm sorry, each country has a CERT uh, that is basically looking at uh, different crimes in general, but that could also be correlated to financial systems, brokerage houses, et cetera. 
And so those are all good things, and but it doesn't mean that they're a one-to-one -one mapping. You're going to have to, as a threat modeling expert or security champion, you're going to have to see, does this belong in my threat library? And that's where you do some level of cherry picking. Okay, so now that you're building out this threat library, and you mentioned about threat modeling, so what's the relationship between uh, now that I've accumulated this threat library, how does that help? Um, I guess as input into your threat model, what are some ways that you can use I mean, a threat library? The, the uh, you know threat modeling, you know, from my you know viewpoint in talking about this worldwide and and doing this with different organizations, it is supposed to model threats. But yet, when we look at how threat modeling is done, status quo today, we see a lot of information, but there's no threat analysis. You see a lot of weaknesses analysis and vulnerability analysis and attack patterns, but where are the threats? And so, uh, you know, in order to understand the value of threats, I've, I first began talking about this in London about defining what a threat is. And many times in InfoSec, um, people are erroneously uh, putting threats and attacks as synonyms. And if you look in the English Dictionary, they're not. And so the benefit of a threat library is that it serves as a cornerstone to everything else in your threat model. So, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a kind of a, a, a big picture of what threat you're trying to mitigate, you have underneath that attack patterns that support the threat. You have, in order to attack something, you're not going to waste your time on something that is um, you know, resilient, you as a cyber criminal want to attack things that are observed to be weak. And so you start to have this hierarchy and relationship between what is the threat, what is the attack to support the threat, what is the weakness that enables the attack to happen, and what is the target uh, that has the vulnerability. So the to answer your question in somewhat of a long-winded fashion is threats provide context. Threats provide context of what you, sh you should be worried about. And one of the things I said in London was that the great thing about a threat library is that it messages a lot better than KPEG, KPEG number 66. Um, or if you're using KPEG as an attack library. Or, you know, uh, an injection you know, type of attack that you're trying to articulate. Um, threat, threat models have the ability to involve architects, designers, you know, uh, project managers, development managers, security champions, and in, 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 a, in a broader group of people than if we were just talking about weaknesses and attacks. So uh, the, the value of including threats into your threat model is that it provides a, a messaging a boost to your threat model once complete. B, it provides really a kind of a parent node to your attack tree where you can start to map attacks and weaknesses and com affected components to the, the, the root threat that you're trying to mitigate against. And lastly, you know, one of the problems that I see, you know, worldwide with different industry groups is that you have developers always asking the quintessential question, who would do this? How would they do this? And why is this even a problem? If, Threats, a threat library has a way to, to really disarming that question because threats, uh, a good threat library is going to be pretty simple, pretty obvious, and it's not going to be very extensive. And it provides a way so that you could um, 
rationalize how threats are related to the other parts in a threat model, like your attacks, like your use cases, like the weaknesses that might be affecting those use cases, et cetera. Okay, great. I was looking at uh, the description here of your talk at AppSec Europe, and it mentions that you were looking at uh, both Azure and AWS components to leverage when adding threat context and ultimately a, an amazing threat library. So I'm curious about uh, if you're if you can speak to it today about you know what are the, some of those components that are uh, out there then available. I know those are a couple of the uh, options for uh, cloud-based uh, applications. Obviously, there are many more, but those are probably the most well-known: Azure and AWS. So what are some of those components? If you can talk about that. Sure. I mean, the, the great thing about uh, now, what I will I will clarify when we talk about cloud that we're not talking about the virtualized, you know, instances that you might have of your, you know, virtualized, um, you know, uh, a CentOS box or your your virtualized Ubuntu server, uh, Windows server, etc. <clears throat> we're not talking about that. We're talking about the cloud abstraction layer that governs things like access control and um, and, and policies for routing traffic between virtual private computing groups and domains, um, you know, defined uh, VPN endpoints that are in your cloud. Uh, we're talking about things that are typically governed through a web interface. Cloud, you know, insecurities is really a, a byproduct of the lack of proper configuration on access control, on architecture, on so many different things. And that, of course, sits on top of yet trying to harden the you know, the different instances like your databases, your caching systems, et cetera. So when we talk about the talk in London, there's things in Azure and in AWS that it can lend to feed into a great threat library. Um, for example, if you enable CloudTrail and you enable certain types of logging on different types of uh, cloud components in Azure, you can really feed your threat library based upon a set of threats that you've defined. In the talk in uh, London, I picked on the uh, the oil and gas industry uh, because it's one of those early, it's one of those uh, industries that is late to the game in terms of adopting cloud compared to other industries that are out there. And so um, I basically talked about how this one international multinational company uh, has developed a oil uh, uh, an oil analytics platform in the cloud with the help of a fourth party. And uh, it basically provides a lot of great information on where new R&D opportunities are and where how the performance of their well uh, spots are, are performing. And so the, 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 the kind of the, the, the business case I provided there is, what are the threats to such a company? You know, um, it's a, and in, in doing the research behind this, what was interesting is that the the the, um, the competitive landscape for finding um, you know uh, resources that can be mined for for oil and gas is extremely competitive. Uh, knowing what locations you know are out there and can be mined, as well as what well spots are going to produce certain levels of quantity and, and uh, d different metrics on that quality uh, of crude is. Is, is something that is basically a competitive advantage. So, you know, we talked about 
you know, in a very simple way, uh, integrity of information and the availability of those systems is super important for the oil and gas industry. So if you take those two pillars of general security themes, integrity of data, because you're mining this data, right? And um, your performance is basically helping you to to make decisions. Um, By the way, like going back 30 years, all this would be done by local engineers with laptops at at the well spot. But today you have sensors that are talking to the cloud and reporting back data. And so continuity and integrity of data is super key. So just think about the threat of sabotage. You're competing against a multinational company and you're trying to basically affect their performance levels, their quality levels or something, and uh, you want to disrupt. Sabotage is a legitimate business threat. And so from a technical standpoint, what can you do? Is your uh, cloud-related SaaS platform that is governing the effectiveness and measurements of your data mining operations, uh, of your your well spot operations, how is that actually affected by a complete disruption? So we begin, you know, there provides an example where we could look at Azure, we could look at Azure Hybrid or Nat Formally Security Manager and start to pull in the types of incidents or events, better said, uh, that could actually be concerning to us. You know, when we see security events that relate to downtime, that relate to deprecation of service and performance, then it fits in our threat library because we're concerned right now with continuity. And let's say we have other types of logs that feed into uh, violations of access control. Well, because it fits in our threat library node of sabotage, we can now you know start to f- feed events from our infrastructure in Azure to basically support and say, hey, we have some heightened events that actually we, we're concerned about uh, because it's it's part of our threat model. So therein lies kind of how it all ties together. Okay, so it's, it, it's kind of a full circle here, right? So you're you're gathering data and that's input into your threat model, but then you now you have your threat model, which then can help guide into what you're looking for, or when you see some incidents or you see some data that comes out and say, aha, that goes in this bucket, that goes in that, and we see that it's happening. And we have a better idea or understanding uh, um, how our threat model works and, and uh, how it's proven by the data that we see. And so it's kind of, the, again, the, kind of that full circle of, of getting the data and reinforcing what we know and improving uh, with that, of course, with mitigation and so on, it sounds like. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first step is to define your threat library, and that's really a human effort that is driven by evidence, right? Evidence from the outside, evidence from your systems that from the inside. And you could say, well, I'm concerned about threats related to sabotage because, you know, oil wells have been sabotaged before, or um, there has been R&D leaks. So I'm concerned about information disclosure of R&D data related to, you know, some new discoveries that we're, we're doing. Uh, maybe some underwater discoveries with some satellite imaging or whatever. So just right there, those are two threats, right, that you could basically begin to map out. Well, if I'm concerned about sabotage, what are the types of, you know, associated technologies, use cases that I have in my applications or systems 
that support attack patterns that would actually realize this threat. And so you start to tie all the pieces. Once you basically fast forward to the end and you say, okay, I've connected how sabotage could happen logically for a cloud-based system, because, and I've substantiated it with events that are happening to establish credibility that, you know, like, for example, let's say that I talked about access control. Let's say that there are some access control violations that are happening a lot for this SaaS platform that was discussed. Well, do we care? Do we not care? If devoid of a threat library, we would have we would ask that question and say, well, we care because it's it's not best practice to have that. And that's true. But where do we put that in the queue of, of tackling for remediation? Right. You know, usually it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're, we'll tack, we'll, we'll assign a criticality based upon something that's really just subjective, like a framework or a best practice or a top 10 or whatever. And the reality is this, those top 10s and those industry frameworks, they know nothing about your business. They didn't develop, you know, they didn't fund your business. They didn't go out there and, and, and do the R&D for where, where, where the you know, oil reserves you're, you're going to try to research. They didn't lay down the pipeline and infrastructure. So I always kind of laugh at this because like, how does an outside security best practice framework know some of the damaging things that are affecting your business? And the reality is it doesn't. And so the threat library provides that level of context that helps to build a great threat model, but it also helps the message to the people that actually care about the business. And it could be vertically up or horizontally within the organization. After the break, Tony explains more about how you can get started with building a threat library. The Application Security Podcast operates with support from Security Journey. A security belt program provides the three pillars of successful AppSec training learning, application, and experience. Visit us on the web at www.securityjourney.com to learn how you can teach and empower your developers using a new kind of security training. Tony dives back in with some steps to begin building a threat library. Well, it's a lot easier than one might think. I mean, the the first step is really begin with uh, a manageable threat library. And um, my 101 version of that is to begin with a CIA triad and say, let, let's begin with like themes of threats that you're concerned about. You know, are you concerned about the threat against confidentiality? Are you concerned about the f- threat against integrity? And think of it from the context of the business operations that that application or system supports, whether it be in the cloud or on-prem. And so, you know, so the first step is build your threat library. Stride is is not going to be your threat library because it's a mnemonic and it, it's helpful to remember um, what what you could you know throw into those six buckets. But um, you know what happens if you're concerned about extortion? Where do you put extortion underneath Stride? You you don't put it anywhere. Um, and extortion is uh, a rising threat that's affecting different types of systems. In fact, there's been several several cloud there's been um several cloud operators that have actually gone out of business because they of poor code security and they actually shut their doors um and this was going back i think seven years ago there was a company out in san francisco because of extortion so if 
think about the things that are going to be detrimental to your application to your business and and just write those down is it insider threat is it sabotage is it you know um data exfiltration but go ahead and begin to define things based upon what you know of your your industry and then once you basically and you can work with that collaboratively with other key members of your organization step two is now it's time to substantiate stuff let's not play chicken little let's try to build some credence into this library get some resources from the outside in the form of threat intel and get some uh, evidence from your infrastructure that supports maybe that these are some concerns that you actually might be having right now. If, for example, if one of your concerns is insider threat, because maybe you operationally, your organization or your dev team has a high mix of non-employees that are from outside organizations and you have less visibility on what is being done, combined with, let's say, you recognize that your con- contracts with external companies within your company is really poor, then you, you could be at risk for some intellectual property theft. Um, so you basically, you know, you, you want to be able to substantiate that threat claim with evidence of, let's say, that you, you maybe have some illicit access control violations to code repositories, to, you know, servers, systems, cloud infrastructure, whatever the case may be. And so you start to map your threat library with um, evidence from the outside, evidence from the inside. And then the next step is just simply uh, it, it provides a blueprint for what, uh, what attacks are going to realize these threats. So you know, let, let's talk about pen testing for a second. And let me stick with the same vein of access control violations. So you're concerned about access control violations that are superfluous and you're concerned about insider threat. Well, when you're doing a pen test, one of the abuse cases that you oftentimes do is you basically provide for what could be done using privesque or privilege escalation under certain user contexts. And so if you're therefore you're testing what are the abuse cases you can do with certain roles in the application. And so now you're testing the viability and the impact of that attack in support of that threat. And then you map the weaknesses. Well, okay, let's say the attack is successful. Why was it successful? Well, is it because of the poor entropy on a session token on a, on, on a web API uh, that allowed the attacker to actually es- you know, uh, escalate their privilege to another role or user um, by, by guessing you know, a, a token ID? Uh, for a higher user role, then then all of a sudden now you have a weakness that's correlated to an attack pattern that's correlated back to your threat that's correlated back to your threat library. So, you know, in in this example that I provided, the the, the beauty is is that it provides an outline for even how to pen test, and you know, it, it based upon a threat library that you care about. Now, if you want to pen test everything in the world and do things status quo, that's great too, but you know, time is money. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of these engagements are time box, but right. that, that's a good way to get started. Yeah, I was going to say for pen testing, like you said, a lot of times time box, you don't have infinite amount of time, infinite resources. You've, you only have a limited amount of time, only so many things you can test. And like I said, you can, you can test the world, but you're not going to get there. And if you can be more specific, especially focusing on the things that actually do make sense in your system, things that you've actually seen or have been seen. 
that are in your threat library and verify are we still or do we still have that issue is it still there and so on so yeah no i definitely see the value and and that's true anyway of uh, you know threat modeling and in terms of helping you understand better about what what could go wrong um, it sounds like the threat library can certainly as input help you uh, not just think about what could go wrong, but you have a pretty good idea of, of what is potentially going wrong with some of the data that you've been collecting. Right, exactly. Or potential, right? Because that's when you're building it initially. You're, you're thinking about uh, some of those things, about those areas and, and the types of threats. So, okay, very good. Very good. All right, well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. Uh, it was good to talk with you again here. Um, Curious, are you uh, speaking on uh, this topic or any others uh, coming up in any conferences soon? Yeah, I'm actually speaking at the ISSA chapter here in Atlanta uh, on this topic, uh, but you know, looking to to, to evolve this uh, talk into other industries, especially in the United States, uh, with more critical infrastructure. So uh, my my goal is to basically uh, take a different slant on it and really. Uh, maybe address Department of Energy or Department of Transportation uh, and how building a threat library can actually help to lead for more poignant security, you know, uh, testing and measures um, uh, for those, you know, different industries. But uh, that's what's next up for me. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get just as uh, good of a rewarding. It was a great audience in London and hopefully looking forward to the same here stateside. Great. Great. Any last words to our listeners? on this topic or any others that you've been covering? Just, uh, you know, adopt threat modeling. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great practice. If done correctly, it's extremely collaborative. Um, it's gaining a lot of speed and attention. And uh, I would just invite anyone to, you know, check out a risk-centric approach called Process for Attack Simulation and Threat Analysis, uh, also known as PASTA, uh, as a uh, risk-focused approach on um, threat modeling, things that matter. So invite all the listeners out there to uh, check it out. And if they do have any interest or questions, they can always follow me on Twitter at T0NYUV, uh, and I'll be able to DM them back. Okay, great. Well, again, thanks, Tony. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Robert. Great being on the show again, and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and visit the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Born and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.